but what that did for for education was we were all forced to go ah oh, we we can't access our resources anymore um you know our kids can't access any of the stuff that they used to have and we did, we can't access all our, our banks of resources and stuff so kind of had to find another way to do it because the kids were all sitting the same exam at the end of the year as everyone else in the country that hadn't had an earthquake so uh there's this real kind of um what's the word kind of a hothouse of of education digital technology thinking stuff happening in christchurch Listening to the NZ PE Teacher Cast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode number 21 of the NZPE Teacher Cast. Today we welcome onto the podcast Stephen McConaughey from Middleton Grange School who is a very talented maths teacher doing amazing things with technology and e-learning in this space. He shares some fascinating stories from how the Canterbury earthquakes impacted on the use and uptake of technology and mathematics through to his more recent experiences building content for my study series. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, great to be here. How, uh, how How's your day been? Uh, pretty intense. Um, long day. Started with some training before school, PD training, not not uh, physical training. Wait, no, <laughs> what, no physical training. No, I'm afraid not. No, I'd, ra- I'd rather do some maths. <laughs> so, um, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience, and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Yeah, so I uh, I started teaching at Linwood College in Christchurch, and that was uh, in 2008. Um, they're Currie High School. Um, any any mass educators listening might know the name Alan Paris. He was my my first HOD, so it was great to start training under him. He's pretty much famous. Uh, and then uh, the year of the earthquake was my my last year there. Moved to Middleton Grange School, which is where I am now. Uh, so it's the start of 2012. Middleton's a, a co-ed school, 1,400ish students, um, years one to 13. So yeah, I've just been teaching maths since then. Um, years nine to 13 and calculus and scholarship calc are my my babies so been enjoying that yeah i, I hadn't heard of middleton grange until i had met um andrew o'neill at a at a pens conference and oh right yeah he, he so he's been on a on the podcast and his uh, i think it still is the most popular episode that we've had with all the stuff he was doing around um sport and education so um, yeah andrew's fantastic i really enjoy working with him don't tell him i said that he'd get a big head but uh, i really like him no, I think you'll be listening. <laughs> the the earthquake. What um, what impact did that have on education? Oh, mate, that was huge for Christchurch. We um, I mean, my school in particular. I was at Limwood College at the time, and that was one of the five schools that that completely closed down. Uh, so we were shut for oh, probably about six months. Um, well, our, our site was closed for six months, and as a school, we were shut for about six or seven weeks 
um and like teaching out of mcdonald's and the town library and then after after about four weeks of teaching in the town library we found out the town library was red sticked as well and that was unsafe and had been the whole time so we moved out of there again but um yeah once i mean once we started up we we moved to cashmere high school and they yeah their mess department really looked after us so it was really good um but they started at uh some crazy hour in the morning and finished at 12 30 they got like 1700 kids out one gate and we got our thousand kids in the other gate um in 20 minutes flat so they finished at about i think 12:35, and we started at 12:55 or something on the same site with the same buildings and the same offices so uh it was pretty crazy yeah but what that did for for education was we were all forced to go ah oh, we we can't access our resources anymore um you know our kids can't access any of the stuff that they used to have and we did we can't access all our, our banks of resources and stuff so kind of have to find another way to do it because the kids were all sitting the same exam at the end of the year as everyone else in the country that hadn't had an earthquake so uh there's this real kind of um what's the word kind of a hothouse of of education digital technology thinking stuff happening in christchurch and lots of networking uh lots of learning around the stuff lots of experimenting just kind of because we had to but then once the urgency died down we just kept going and it's it's been really cool um i feel like i'm kind of part of this huge experiment but it's great learned lots so that was kind of born out of that that need to um come together and support one another which is pretty cool yeah yeah and um and online learning suddenly became a thing that real physical um flesh and blood schools had to deal with yeah. uh rather than just being this concept of of the future it was like oh <laughs> we kind of need this mm. so you're also vice president of the canterbury mathematical association so that sounds um very official and professional what does that role entail for you uh, it's a it's triple the pay of the the voluntary roles elsewhere on the committee so that's pretty good um unfortunately triple nothing's still not that much but uh <laughs> it just means uh sitting Math on the jokes. yeah woo, uh, sitting on the on the executive committee um so we just kind of plan coordinate the pd and um all the the different programs that we offer to support math teachers and math students around canterbury you know competitions for students and uh resources and and pd training days for for teachers and stuff my particular thing is is e-learning pd so i organize an annual pd day for teachers uh, we started a few year, few years ago with secondary best um this year we had our first primary one which was really exciting so yeah what, a, what a, 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 in terms of um primary primary school what what challenges is there in, in arranging professional learning for them well the biggest challenge for me is that i'm not primary um yeah. so it's been uh like with the, the first one we ran was this year and i made sure that it was um i was not the only secondary voice organizing it but we certainly didn't have many and that was on purpose um just wanted to make sure that primary PD was organised by primary teachers. So yeah. it was me coming in with the e-learning stuff I'd done, but um, and the you know the experience of putting these PD things together, but then stepping right back and going, okay, well, you guys know what you need, so if we kind of give you the the space for it, um, you guys organise the PD that you feel will be most valuable. And the feedback was really positive along those lines. So that was yeah, the biggest challenge was just. Um, making sure that it was relevant to them when I'm not them, if that makes sense. Do they generally, do they not get a lot of PD? 
Um, I don't really know. Uh, I mean, it, and there's just reasons for that. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, the PD funding models just changed nationwide uh, last year, and that's left many primary schools um, in the lurch a little bit. Uh, there used to be kind of region-wide training symposiums and so on that, that were really popular with primary teachers that just don't happen anymore. Um, and the, the PD funding model is very different. So getting subject-specific PD in front of teachers who, who want it or who are interested, I, my understanding is that that's gotten harder. But again, yeah, it's, it's not really my area. What I was concerned about was that um, the CMA, the Canterbury Mass Association, were... Uh, not really catering to to primary mass teachers, so we we exist to help mass educators, both primary and secondary. And uh, I just wanted to really make sure that they were getting the support they needed from us as well. Yeah, I I know very little about uh, the primary sector, and uh, I think I really need to try to find a, a a confident primary teacher to get on the podcast so I can learn a little bit more because um, just just knowing nothing uh, we you know we see these kids come from primary into intermediate and then we we take over at secondary it would be mm. really good to at least have some sort of baseline knowledge of what that student has gone through and at the moment i i don't i don't know right. and i think that's um i don't think that's ideal we should know the processes that, that they go through if, if we want to scaffold and build on what they've learned yeah yeah so I mean, obviously... i've got a few names i can send you away but i mean i certainly felt that when i was going from a high school and end of 2011, start of 2012, I went from a high school to a, a school which went right from year one to 13. And I thought, man, this is going to be such an epic opportunity. I'm going to be, spend all this time with primary teachers and we're going to network and connect and learn from each other. And I'm going to see what they're doing and I'm going to improve my practice because of it. I mean, the reality is we're still teachers and so we still just don't have time. So, yeah, um, yeah. you know, we share a staff room, but we don't have the same break times and um, you just don't have time to to do all the things that you want to do. So just like everything else in education, I guess we have these big ideas and big plans, but yeah. So you're obviously passionate about e-learning strategies and the implementation of digital learning techniques. How has this technology impacted on the mass curriculum in recent times? Yeah, the last the last decade's been pretty huge for, for digital learning in mass. Um, I mean, it's been pretty huge for digital learning everywhere just because digital has become a thing, I guess. But uh but there's in, in maths specifically, I think there's, there's this really unique journey that we've been on. Um, there were there were a few online products that I'm thinking kind of eight to ten years ago. There are a few online products that allowed students to practice maths in a more fun and more engaging way than they were with worksheets and textbooks and stuff. But that was pretty much it. Um, it was just practice, but more colourful and on on an applet or online. But I, I just kept thinking there must be more to it. And there were plenty of people thinking that. So all the other curriculum areas get really collaborative and constructive, rich kind of deeper thinking activities. But we just had this this one particular type of, of digital learning tool. It was really good for basic drilling, but not not really much beyond that. Uh, but then more recently, with things like uh, free software like Desmos and GeoGebra um, to explore concepts, and then free stats analysis tools like NZ Grapher and Insight, um, they allowed students to really kind of play with data and explore patterns. So for math specifically, it's it's software that lowers the entry barrier. It's, you know, the shallower learning curve. So it takes the grunt work out of, of exploring patterns. They're not, 
if I give a, a kid a worksheet with 20 questions on it so that they can try and see a pattern of what's happening when they change one particular part of, of an equation, I mean, it's a lot of work just to, to try and notice a, um, a lot of work to try and notice a pattern, but having all these really cool tools to, to, for students to play around is, is really cool. Um, so that's where we are now after that kind of decade of exploring what, what will this mean for maths. It's, yeah, it's a super exciting place to be now. Yeah, I, when I when I when I think about it, and I think about the, how technology has changed physical education because it has, and probably in a, in a in a similar time frame, but we're still limited in what that technology can do for us in a sense. But when I think about mass, I, I just think that the possibility with mass to um, bring in technology, I just think it's really well suited, and you mm. can uh, it, it allows you to. Uh, I imagine to be able to uh, to do a lot and change the way that you deliver learning through that subject. Would, yeah, would that, would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, I think it can. Um, I guess the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. So we we kind of look out and go, oh man, like uh, humanities and English, it must be so great to be in those areas for digital <laughs> technology because um, you know you can have collaborative writing activities and um build your own videos as like a you know i've seen teachers english teachers getting students to make movie trailers um to to show their understanding of themes and characters in a story um they just kind of lend themselves more to digital stuff than than maths um so i guess yeah grass is always greener on the other side of the fence but certainly now that i've seen how it can all happen uh yeah it's super exciting what, what do you think the biggest challenges facing mass teachers with regards to technology and its role in your learning area? Uh, I guess that biggest challenge is what I'm saying. It's very easy to do drilling and tick that e-learning box just by doing the drilling. Um, you know, get all the kids sitting in a room with their headphones on, um, answering question after question after question of, of really low-level closed stuff. But um, getting beyond that is, is a pretty big shift. Um, so that's a pretty big challenge. I mean, getting the teacher training, um, access to the technology for those those little but crucial moments in a lesson where, if you've got, if you've got to book a computer lab for your for your lesson, um, it's it's not quite the same as oh actually I think this might be happening in this particular concept. Maybe we'll just try that and just have a play with that. Grab advice. Um, yeah. Yes, it's jumping. The biggest challenge, I think, is jumping from the the drilling stuff, the just the practice, to that higher higher level thinking, which is a little less obvious on how to do it. So, does that still occur a little bit? You know, the the constant drilling and, and rote learning. Does that still happen in quite a few classrooms? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, there's plenty of really really inspiring maths teachers who are pushing the envelope with this stuff. Um, and look, I mean, the whole kind of Joe Bowler movement. Joe Bowler's an educator from, I think, the UK. Uh, she's fantastic. She's got um, wide following in the mass community of of people really looking at well, how do we get students thinking creatively and meaningfully about mass concepts and understanding them more deeply, rather than just practicing. So practice is important, but yeah, um, but really, yeah, moving beyond that. But in saying that, yeah. Short answer: Yes, there's still a lot of um, a lot of just practice happening in classrooms, some classrooms. So, yeah, it's getting that right balance. Yeah, we we see it too in PE, and 
um, it, it's getting it's getting better, but it's in our learning area. It's so easy to just play games, and mm. if those games serve serve a bigger purpose, that's really cool. But it's about understanding. You know, it's been it's been able to understand the issues that we see in society, um, some of those socio cultural issues, and get um, students building. Uh, knowledge and critical thinking around some of those issues and that's been mm. it's kind of the transition for our, from our curriculum over the last 10 years um, but it's it's the, it's the same thing that some some teachers don't do that well and aren't trying to do that well so yeah going back to that you talked about all that professional learning that needs to happen to take place to upskill those teachers and um, get them to see the value in, in doing yeah, this yeah. additional stuff and even getting it into the hands of the teachers who do want to but you know, it's just one of a thousand pressures on them at the moment. So, uh, yeah, just kind of lowering those barriers for teachers as well. Mm. You're also a keen flipped educator, um, which I love, mm. and you've been using it within your teaching this year. How have you yeah. found that? Uh, I've been loving it. Um, I've I've really enjoyed it. I, I've learned a lot. Uh, I'm I'm not there yet. <laughs> so I've only I mean I've been wanting to try it for ages, but. Um, yeah, I've just started it this year. So it's it's pretty cool. The, the students learn the skills before they come into class. Uh, it gives me more time to play and explore and investigate and practice in, in class or even just more tutorial time, some lessons. So I just have more time to get around everyone while they do that practice. Um, uh, maths, maths qualifications in New Zealand, are, they're explicitly based on the solo taxonomy. So for any listeners that are familiar with that uh, lingo, the, the videos, I use that for the multi-structural thinking before the class, and then students come into class to for the lesson to, to lock that in and to really get into the, the relational thinking and extended abstract thinking. Uh, what I found in my class, students who were previously sitting on Achieved are now discussing concepts at a really high level. And uh, I shouldn't say surprising me, because, um, you know, we all have high expectations of our students, but uh, it has been really cool to see some of those students who were kind of floundering a little bit um, even a few weeks ago because I just started started flipping an entire calculus topic um, recently uh, and you're really, really getting into it. So um, that's been really cool. But I look forward to seeing those final results in November, of course, but um, the formative assessment results have been really positive. So some students are liking it, some not so much, but I'm pretty sure that was true how I used to teach anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> those students who aren't liking it so much what what are their concerns with it um some of them don't like the fact that uh from my point of view as a cynical teacher uh they don't like that they can't get away with not doing regular homework anymore so if they used to do a big chunk of homework every now and then um that doesn't fly when you're saying watch this video and do this um this kind of reflection summary sheet before tomorrow's lesson uh, I mean, they've just got to do a little bit often. So uh, some aren't so keen on that. Um, some are just finding that it's it's quite different from what they're used to. They're used to getting hard, concrete notes on paper, uh, learning that, and then, like, it's quite a linear progression that mm. um, certainly appeals to me. I know it doesn't appeal to everyone, but, I mean, I remember sitting in class like that, and that I, I really enjoyed that method of learning of, you know, you know where everything's at, you know what's expected of you, here's the notes, here's the process, here's the concept, here's the skill, practice the skill, move on to the next one. Uh, it's quite nice and tidy and it kind of fits together. So some students are kind of grieving for that. Um, yeah. I mean, we're still doing that, but it's it's just unpacking it uh, in a different way and it means that the, the digging in deeper is a lot more meaningful, but it's definitely a transition. So 
Um, and I've, you know, I've got to listen to the, the, the student voice as well. And I've done a couple of surveys with them and I'm having lots of conversations with them. Um, I'm talking to other teachers who are talking to those students so that I can kind of get that secondhand feedback that they may not say to me. Um, and yeah, just, uh, some of the ways that I can make it better or kind of ease that transition or even not do some of the things that I thought were going really well, but, um, haven't come across any major things yet. Have you noticed that with, with that repurpose classroom time that you're getting a bit more face-to-face time with your students, have you, have you noticed any impact on relationships there? Any positive impacts? Has that been clear? Uh, I've only been flipping for a short time, but it seems to be, um, in terms of, a bit more focused on um, on those those higher higher order thinking questions. So, um, yeah, I mean, only in the early days so far, yeah. but yeah. but yeah, it's it's starting to lean in that direction. So you 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 know you're really passionate about technology, and you're doing all of this flip learning, and you're you're experimenting with that. So obviously you feel that that's the way forward with mathematics mm. education. Does that mean yeah. no more textbooks? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's two parts to that question, I guess. Um, there's, there's no more practicing in a textbook or no more lugging around the textbook. Um, I remember having a real heavy bag, school bag when I was a kid. So um, for, from a practice point of view, you know, they say that 10,000 hours of deliberate practice makes you an expert in something. So, if your students are just doing the the conceptual discussions and exploring patterns, um, it's not going to help them to really to you know factorize brackets. They if they need to factorize brackets, then they need to know how to factorize brackets. They need to be fluent in that skill. So, um, not saying do ten thousand hours of factorizing brackets, but you you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's not just understanding those concepts, but but being fluent and applying them. But I guess the other side of of no more textbooks. Um, Having a physical textbook, probably not. Uh, I think we're probably moving away from that. They're, they're big and heavy. Book publishers are starting to catch on, so we're starting to deliver um, digital versions of their publications. So uh, chucking in like interactives and enhanced content. Uh, I'm not a big fan of going completely paperless. I still scribble on paper when I need to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it does seem logical with textbooks to, to stop carrying around this massive thing. The, um, that paperless comment is is an interesting one and this is slightly unrelated but i i felt i was getting a bit too um connected so end of last year i, I purchased um an actual physical diary uh, mm. uh, uh diary slash journal and i was old using school. that yeah but old school and and i do my morning and evening routines with that and i use the planner and i also bought bought this note notebook which was um was quite flash it's called a rocket book and um, essentially it's an erasable uh, notepad notebook mm. that then you can scan and you can send it to Dropbox or Google Drive or email it or whatever and um, so I was really getting into the, the paper stuff and then so that's been six or seven months and then now I've found I've gone away from them again I don't I, and I haven't worked it out yet but I've you know I've moved I'm using Trello a lot for my planning and my to-do mm. lists and I'm, I'm back on Google Calendar and I, I just, I need to sit back and think about why I made that change because I was really mm. enjoying doing the um, doing the paper stuff but it's it's really interesting how you chop and change yeah. and the, the benefits of paper or, or not having paper. and um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't live without my Outlook calendar but then 
in saying that on my desk at work I've got a big paper uh handwritten list of of my kind of big deadlines for the term just because I mean I, was, I just can't keep track of it otherwise if they're I use my Outlook tasks, um, so I've got tasks and deadlines and reminders coming out the wazoo. But it's it's having the the paper list there. Just yeah, I couldn't live without it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I it's been a while since I've been in a mass lesson, and I've got some horrendous stories um, from, from my. <laughs> so I've got some good similar, stories too. I've got some good stories. stories bro. <laughs> I, I bet. Actually, I, one of my my best memories of mass was being uh, was in primary school when uh, I was in some accelerated group, and the principal actually came and taught us twice a week, which was really cool. Um, and that's kind of started my love for mass, but that has since faded into oblivion. So now, thinking about your classes or, or your teaching, what would an ideal mass lesson look to you? Right. Uh, I guess it's largely shaped by the new flipped learning stuff that I've been been exploring. Um, so it would start with students learning that new content and all the vocab and stuff, seeing it before the lesson, um, either in a video or, or some other medium. Um, maybe the first few minutes of the lesson discussing that content and any questions they might have, uh, clearing up any confusions, getting um, getting students to, to write some higher-order thinking questions maybe before they come in based on the video and then getting them to answer each other's um, questions when they come in can be quite cool uh, just for those first few minutes and then getting into a, a really rich activity. So maybe like discussion of, of those higher-order thinking questions in more detail or some investigation of a concept with, with like GeoGebra and Desmos, the two bits of software I mentioned before, uh, or maybe like a practical activity where they, they get up and they measure stuff and they analyse results and make predictions uh, stuff that, that we probably wouldn't have had time for before. But, um, yeah, get into it a bit more, then wrap it all up at the end. Nice, nice. Um, GeoGebra and those those other, you mentioned another app, what 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 are they for people that aren't in the mess? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just kind of assume that everyone knows what you're talking about, eh? Uh, <laughs> um, they're both, uh, they're alternatives of each other. Um with slightly different strengths. So I use both when the time's right, but they are graphing software um, to varying degrees. So GeoGebra being like uh, overlapping with geometry and algebra. So you can do some cool things with um, equations and graphs and tables and showing all the links between them and um, showing some angle rules on shapes and how that all plays together uh, in, in a really visual way where the students are playing with stuff and creating stuff it's really cool or um desmos is is more on the graph side than the geometry side but um a lot of cool free um free resources there they're both free software so really useful for teachers and for students nice nice you've done some postgraduate study in education technology Mm. you did you find that helpful yeah yeah it was super helpful um kind of gave me an opportunity to like to dig into those questions that I had around there must be more to it than this this online drilling. Um, and I just kept wondering, I see all this other stuff happening in the other learning areas that I was saying before, but what can we do in mass? Um, how do we get to that, that kind of holy land, promised land? Um, but research and networking that I wouldn't have access to otherwise was really good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was really good. If anyone's considering it, definitely take the plunge. I, you know, I'd love to. I'd love to step up and do do some postgrad stuff, but yeah, I just don't have time. 
like what what could say a teacher who wants to learn or pick up or do some of the stuff but don't have the time to do a full-blown postgrad course what could they how could they go about um improving their skill set in this in this instance mm. uh i guess get involved with your local subject association so uh, i mean especially canterbury mass teachers come along to the the our annual pd day for e-learning or uh, we have little bits throughout the year so if you're in a in an area where you have a subject association that's offering stuff get along to it making it make it a priority um facebook groups for teachers really helpful twitter um get on there and, and follow people um get to the NZEMT conference so that's our, our national mass teachers association uh lots of cool workshops happening that's this year next month um october or even go observe someone so like outside your school even so like um there's a teacher from st andrews college uh, ben hilliam he's fantastic uh i've learned a lot from him he he allowed me to drive over to his school and observe a flipped lesson with one of his senior maths classes recently and it was really helpful uh we caught up afterwards and i oh, now picked his brains so um go and go and watch people uh and and pick people's brains people are generally really willing to help um yeah so a lot of networking, right? And and yeah. that's, you know, that's something I'm I'm a fan of is is networking, which is really what this this podcast has evolved into and and sharing people's stories because mm. I don't think we do it enough. But, um, yeah, if you can just get out there and meet people and and be, and and have a desire to learn from others, I think that's really yeah. important as well. Yeah, and don't be afraid to ask questions. I mean, people like to be asked. It's you know, it's kind of nice, kind of nice to know that you're your contribution is valued so people like to be asked um and then when you ask it's kind of nice to know that you made that connection and that um you know that's something that you can that you can build on in the future so and it goes both ways they might have something that that you can help with later on so um don't be afraid to ask questions so last week we announced my study series for mathematics which launches next year and you've been subcontracted to create content for the platform and you're doing a really good job by the way Thanks, bro. What do you think is the best benefit my study series has to offer for math teachers and students? Uh, you mentioned before repurposing the classroom time. I think that's really the key. Uh, so instead of using that classroom time to teach content and then sending the kids away to do the hard stuff, you're um, using the videos in my study series to, to get that multi-structural thinking happening before the lesson starts. And that gives you more time in class for all the relational thinking and the extended abstract thinking. So repurposing the classroom classroom time um and uh, my study series it has all the videos for nca math so to me a huge advantage is that teachers who who can't make their own videos or they don't want to make their own videos they can try flipped learning without that huge burden of you know i've got to create videos for every every topic this year um with teachers who maybe are planning to make their own videos they don't have to wait until they've got that whole back catalog created they can just start straight away with my study series and get started in the meantime and then um, build up their own catalog as they go. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I really like the, the quizzes and the student data. The, it gives you accountability for watching the videos. So, I mean, I've been using this with my own class in the last few weeks and uh, I can see who's, who's watched each video. I can see uh, what they got on the quiz, how many times they attempted the quiz, um, you know, kind of are they getting these, these basic concepts before class starts. Mm. Well, it was really born out of that flipped approach, which is something I've advocated for for years. And, um, you know, now we've 
we sort of eight months into using it with um, and we've got about 75 schools using it for PE and mm. the, the feedback we're getting is, is it is good and the kids are enjoying using it and the data is useful for the teachers and it is allowing people to people to repurpose their classroom time um, mm. which which is a big benefit along with those those relationships so I'm really excited to see um, the uptake in the mass community um, and see some of the positive stories that come out of that but I think yeah, I, me too. Know, I, really, I really do think what you're what you're building and the, and the content you're pushing out is is good and I think um, people recognize that so um, keep keep up the good work with Thanks, that man. To finish, if there was one small practical step a mass teacher could make tomorrow to take them in the right direction with all of the stuff that we've talked about, the technology and and, um, and stuff like that, what would that be? Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with one small practical step. I think that's that's the key. Uh, don't try too much at once. Just just grab something small and something manageable. So f- for me, my something small and manageable, uh, which you know might, might suit someone else as well, um, just a really small, simple kind of what do you notice type activity. Uh, so maybe like around a, a Desmos or a GeoGebra applet because um, they're all free online. So get the students using the applet themselves, uh, you know, dragging a slider or, or building a building a some kind of shape and showing angle rules maybe. So getting them to make a prediction or a, or a conjecture and then testing that. And it might even just be a starter activity for, for 10 minutes or or something simple where they're, they're having a play with the applet and then um, writing some reflection on what they noticed um, and kind of what they what they thought it might be and what they tested. Um, and then, then moving on from there and building on that without technology might be a really good good way to kind of start this and, and dip your feet in. Mm. Start small, I like it. Mm. Hey, Stephen, I really want to um, just thank you for, for taking the time to um, have a chat. And I, I've gotten to know you over the last um, last year or last few months, and it's I, I like your passion for mathematics. And for somebody like myself who is, uh, I would be the complete opposite to passionate <laughs> for mathematics. It's It's been quite refreshing to um, kind of revisit that space of mathematics and um, tongue in cheek a little bit but um, you know I I think when you have people who are passionate about their learning area or their topic or their subject then students can just feed off that in a really in a really nice way and that's Mm. that's what this is all about it's about growing um, you know actively involved lifelong learners and Mm. and you're obviously doing that so keep up the good work and um and i look forward to catching up with you again cool you too cheers mate thanks bro